second chapter, we've been talking about the last week of Jesus. I read this scripture this week, and um, part of this scripture jumped off the page to me. So I'm going to read you this, and then we're going to talk about it for a few minutes. Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. <clears throat> Jesus has just come out of... Um, the Last Supper has just ended. They've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Um, if you want to read, um, I'm just going to give you a little, uh, give you some context to what, what is going on here. They've, they've been at the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus sends Judas after he serves in communion. Judas goes and, and uh, gets those who he has betrayed Christ to. Uh, they've gone to the, to the Garden. Jesus uh, has... Uh, let's see, so they've got rid of one, so there's now 11. Then he has uh, the other eight stay back, and then he takes his three closest, Peter, James, and John. He takes them a little further with him, and he asks them to pray. And then Jesus goes on a little bit further. Uh, scripture says that he, he tells them, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. And he collapses. In Mark's gospel, it says that he collapses. Jesus falls to the ground. So Jesus is in some anguish, some agony. And he asks him to pray, and then, and then he, he comes back, and they're asleep, and he says, couldn't you pray with me for an hour? And then he goes, and he prays again, and he comes back, and they're asleep. And he says, couldn't you pray with me for an hour? Pray that you will not enter into temptation. And he goes back the third time, comes back, they're asleep again. And then this time he tells them, take your rest, for the hour is near. So then he goes, um, the one who betrays me is near. I'm paraphrasing. So then he goes, uh, that's where we pick up in verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear, his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Lord, I thank you for the scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments. As we look into it, God, that we will be drawn closer to you. God, that we would see you for who you really are, that you can be trusted, even in the darkness that you can be trusted. And God, I pray that, that our lives would, would be uh, conformed into your life. God, that we would begin to resemble you even more. Bless us today. Do a work in our hearts today. Change us, Lord, today. By the power of the word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This is your hour when darkness reigns. That's what jumped off the page to me this week. Jesus speaking to the temple guards. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Is anybody in here afraid of the dark? Yeah. I see that hand. I see that finger pointing to somebody else. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Not, not, 
I'm just too lazy now, I think. I don't think I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm just too lazy. I told you a couple weeks ago about how when the tornado sirens go off, I tell my wife, what are the odds that tonight is going to, this is going to be the night. And I no more said that the other night than a tornado was about 50 yards from my house. But my house still stands. So really, what are the odds? (laughs) that it's going to hit my house. That's funny. That happened to me the other night. <clears throat> There's a, in, in the Omaha Zoo, the, I can't remember the name of the Dorley something zoo. There's, thank you. There is a, an exhibit called Kingdom of the Night. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever been? Kingdom of the Night. And it's where nocturnal animals are. And they keep it really dark. South Park, the school, took a field trip Many years ago, and I was able to go with them. I got the day off work, was able to go to the zoo with them. And so we're going down to this, uh, and it was a really sunny, bright day, and we walked into that exhibit, and it was jarring how dark it was in there. Our eyes had not adjusted yet. Um, And this little person came up to me and took my hand. And I said, whose are you? I couldn't see very good. I knew it wasn't one of my kids. And, and the young man said, I'm yours till we're out of here. <laughs> and I said, all right, we can go through this together. Because in the dark, we're afraid. Darkness has some uncertainty. It makes us anxious. There's, there are things to fear in the dark. And, and I was thinking about that this week. And I was asking Hannah this morning if she might remember who that was, but I can't remember. It was just a young, some young kid. I know it wasn't one of mine. But a lot of people struggle with fear of the dark. Some people sleep with a light on. It's something that people are afraid of. And science science tells us that there is a um, a syndrome called SAD, S-A-D, seasonal effect disorder. It happens to people in the wintertime when the sun isn't out as much. I don't know about you, but I think I get a little bit of that every winter. It starts getting dark at 5 o'clock. You're working till 6 or 7 o'clock, working in the dark. I don't like that. I don't like being in the dark. There's a power in darkness. I mean, just, just if I were to turn all the lights off and it was pitch black in here, you'd feel different. You'd feel different, right? And that's just physical darkness. But there's also spiritual darkness, and this, when this happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was dark, physically. But it was also the height of spiritual darkness. The height of it. Because God himself is about to go on trial and be murdered. I mean, I don't think it gets darker than that. That God comes to us and what do we do with him? We put him on trial and we kill him. It was the height of spiritual darkness. And what does Jesus do going into the darkness? He prays. This story, I believe it is meant to parallel the story I preached a couple weeks ago. When Jesus is asleep in the boat. You remember that? Just nod your head and say yes. Pretend like you listened or cared. (laughs) Jesus is asleep in the boat while they're in the storm, right? But the reason Jesus could sleep in the boat was because he had prayed before the storm ever came. 
And now, in, in this brief moment of peace, the last moment of peace Jesus is going to have uh, before he goes to the cross, he could have taken it easy and thought, you know what, these are my last few moments. I'm going to get some rest. But he didn't. He prayed. And now Jesus is praying, and the disciples fall asleep. There's a reversal. Jesus is about to go through his storm, and the disciples are sleeping. And when they were in their storm, he was asleep. But he could sleep because he had prayed. And only because he had prayed. So, when the darkness comes, and darkness will come, you will face darkness. If you have prayed during times of peace, you will be prepared for times of distress. That's why it's so important to pray. That's why Jesus, that's why when we say we follow Jesus, we follow his actions, his words, his deeds, his lifestyle. See, we want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. And the lifestyle of Jesus was constantly denying himself, getting away, praying, doing for others, putting others first. We all want the life of Jesus, right? Walking in victory. Everybody we pray for is healed. Walking on water. We want that. That'd be pretty cool. But he didn't tell us to walk on water. He told us to do things he, we, he knew we could do. And he said, watch and pray. Lest ye fall into temptation. My throat is really dry. So, sorry, I might sound... <clears throat> I might do a lot of that. <laughs> I don't know why it's so dry. I mean, I always talk a lot, so. All right, there's a power of dark, in darkness. I said that there's the power of the uncertain. There's, there's a power of, of, of the unknown, power of anxiety, and the power of fear. And, and sometimes during times of darkness, we may feel trapped in something we can't control. And, and if you look at the previous passages, I've talked about them a little bit. Jesus if you look at the way Jesus is acting in the garden, you can tell that he, the darkness is affecting him. My soul is sorrowful unto death. He, they tell us that he sweat drops of blood, the scripture says. That's an actual condition. I wrote it down so I wouldn't, I mean, I'm going to say it wrong. Now I can't find it. Hematohidrosis. Sweat glands, they're surrounded by uh, blood vessels, and under extreme stress, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupturing, and blood gets into sweat glands and mixes with the sweat. The darkness was affecting Jesus. Oh, bless you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. Anybody have any chips? <laughs> uh. Thank you. Appreciate that. During times of darkness, we may feel trapped in something that we cannot control. Jesus, oh, I've got points here. When, when, we're, when we're in the darkness, when we face the darkness, we pray. We pray. We go to God in prayer. And Jesus goes to God the Father in prayer and asks him three times to remove this cup. And God does not answer that prayer. The only prayer that I can find in the Bible that God does not answer, that Jesus prays. I mean, we're talking about somebody who prayed for dead people to get up. We're talking about somebody who would make mud or take dirt, spit in it, put it in people's eyes and say, go wash. And they'd wash and they could see. 
Lepers would come to him and he would heal them instantly. At the tomb of Lazarus, he says, Father, I pray that you would hear me. And I'm not saying this for my benefit because I know that you always hear me, but I'm, I'm asking for the benefit of those around me so that they will know that you hear my voice. And he says, Lazarus, come here. And Lazarus, dead four days, gets up. Those are the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed that were answered. But yet in the garden, with the darkness approaching, he says, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. And I don't know about you, but I have prayed that same prayer. Haven't you? Haven't you? I've, uh, my mom tells the story. I remember it vividly because I was a young kid when it happened when my grandfather uh, got so sick and his kidneys were failing and it did not look good. And she prayed. She laid on the floor and prayed all night. And you were saying that, right? Take this cup. And God didn't take the cup. And you've prayed for friends that you've lost. You've prayed for loved ones that you've lost. Jesus prayed for things that didn't happen. But the key to Jesus' prayer there is not take this cup. The key to Jesus' prayer is not my will, but yours be done. Now, please don't mishear what I'm saying. It is not God's will for people to suffer, for people to die too early. That is not God's will. That's not what I'm saying. But we take our prayers to God and we, we ask him sometimes for things that he does not do. But the key to those prayers, the key to having peace that passes all understanding. I'm going to read that passage to us in a little bit. But the key, we all, we all want the peace that passes understanding, right? But there's, a, there, there's some important verses that come right before that. We'll get to those in a minute. But Jesus goes to the Father and he asks him, in the midst of his darkness, Jesus was feeling The pressure. I already told you he was sorrowful even unto death. He asks his disciples to pray with him. He calls a prayer meeting with the best of the best. He calls calls on the big three. Peter, James, and John. And they couldn't even pray with him. They fell asleep. But Jesus, uh, it's interesting what Jesus tells them to pray for. He doesn't say, pray that my father will take this cup. He says, pray that you won't fall into temptation. Jesus was facing his greatest hour of darkness, and what does he do? He goes to the Father in prayer. That's the only reason they came to the garden. He tells them to pray that they will have strength. He tells them to pray for themselves, that they won't enter into temptation. As Jesus prays, he knows the darkness is coming. It's his last moments of peace, but he anguishes in prayer to God. So my first point is this. When when you feel trapped, when you feel like the darkness is too much, when you feel like there's no way up, no way out, go to God in prayer. When you feel trapped, go to God in prayer. And he might not always pluck you out of that situation. He might not always 
let you twinkle your nose and, or snap your fingers and remove you from the situation. But he will not leave you. He won't forsake you. He will walk right there with you. In the darkness. And prayer is like the little boy that reached up and grabbed my hand. And I said, whose are you? And he said, I'm yours till we get through here. And I said, okay, let's go. And when we are in the darkness, if we reach up to God in prayer, he will take our hand and he will walk with us through the darkness, through the fire. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to talk just for a second about darkness. Yes, there is darkness out there. The world is getting dark. I could, I could read you the newspaper. I could talk to you about um, sex trafficking, about all these other horrific things that are going on. The world out there is dark. But the darkness that I'm concerned about this morning is the darkness in here. Jesus himself said, it's not what, you, what goes in that defiles a man. It's what comes out that defiles a man. And Peter, when Peter comes face to face in the garden with those who are coming for Jesus, he comes face to face with the darkness that Jesus is facing. What does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he chops off an ear. Peter meets violence with violence. And Jesus says, no. In another, another telling of the, another gospel, uh, Jesus says to Peter, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He who draws the sword will die by the sword. And listen, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of macho people who, who, who claim to be Christians who walk around and say, you better not get in my face. You better not tug on my cape. You better not mess with me. You better not poke the bear. Don't make me cloud up and rain on you. There's a lot of that going on in Western American Christianity. That is not the gospel of Jesus. When Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed the rest of us. He disarmed the church. MLK has that great quote. Hate does not drive out hate. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And when we're faced with darkness, we can't meet darkness with darkness. We can't meet violence with violence. Oh, we can. Just don't call yourself a Jesus follower. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can treat people however you want to treat people. You can talk to people however you want to talk to them. Just don't tell them you're a Jesus follower and that you come to the river church. <laughs> Don't go to the restaurant and uh, be horrible to your waitress and then leave her a church business card. <laughs> Don't go to hy V and be mean to Nick. And, well, never mind. I'll excuse that. <laughs> you can do that. I think that would be pleasing to the Lord. There is darkness out there. I'm not saying there's not. But the darkness that comes out of us is what we have to watch out for. You know that Peter does not reprimand, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus does not reprimand Peter for denying him three times. He tells him it's going to happen. But then he says, don't worry, I prayed for you. He doesn't reprimand him for that, but he reprimands him when he pulls out the sword. Peter makes 
two crucial mistakes in one night. And he gets in trouble for one. And he gets restored for the other. There is a darkness out there. As Christians, we don't... I saw just yesterday or the day before some... A bunch of Christians are boycotting Disney again. and Do whatever you want. Uh, that I happen to like the Lion King and uh, <laughs> whatever. We're called to be light in the darkness. Not to stand there with our arms crossed. You know, the problem with the church is that the world knows what we're against, but they don't know what we're for. They know what we're against. They don't know what we're for. What are you guys even for? And if we're Jesus followers, we're for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the stranger, the imprisoned, the foreigners. That's what we're for if we're Jesus followers. Again, you can, you can treat people however you want. You can talk to people however you want. Just don't say you're a follower of Jesus. All right, man. I didn't mean to be so mean. And, and, and please don't mishear me. Don't, we shouldn't treat our temple like garbage. and just. I mean, Pastor Walker talked, I thought, really good last week about how it's important about what goes into our temple, right? It's important about what we see. Uh, the, the psalmist said, keep my eyes from evil. If he had followed his own advice, he'd have saved himself a lot of trouble. Keep, uh, set no wicked thing before my eyes. We all want to blame Bathsheba. I blame David. <laughs> it is important what we, what we let come in to the, the eyes, the light of the body. It's important what we let come in. But the darkness that we, that we should fear the most is the darkness that's inside of us. That, that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, as we pray and ask him, he will root it out and take it out. And that's something that we all have to do. Because it's easy on a Sunday morning to to say amen to preaching like this, but it's hard when you go out in the world and somebody cuts you off in traffic or cuts in line in front of you at McAllister's. <laughs> That's an inside joke between me and Paul. It's real easy on Sunday when the, when the worship band has just done a great job and, and you, you've come forward for prayer or something. It's easy to feel built up and, and Christ-like. But then we go out into the real world. We go out into the darkness. We are called to be lights in the darkness. Darkness is all around us, yes. We are to pray, be prayed up. And we are not to meet darkness with darkness. We are to be the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill will not be hid. If, you, if Christ is in you, you are the light in this dark world. Amen. We are to shine a light in the darkness. We are to bring a light to the darkness. I love John 1.5. It says, the light shines in the darkness. This is talking about Jesus. If you know John, the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the light was the light of men. And then in and John 1.5 it says, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not over." Come it. Jesus Christ entered into the darkness, and that darkness put him on trial, 
falsely accused him, beat him, whipped him, yanked out his beard, spit in his face, gave him 39 lashings with the cat of nine tails, made him carry his own cross, put spikes in his hands and his feet. But the darkness didn't overcome it. The darkness didn't overcome him. Because from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. He doesn't meet violence with violence. Peter tells us that when he was reviled, he did not revile. He does not meet violence with violence. He takes in all that violence and pain, and he recycles it as love. Anybody here a recycler? No. What happens when you take your water bottles and you recycle them? They smash them and turn them into something else. Well, Jesus took that violence and he smashed it up. And he turned it into something else. He turned it into love. And the way that the the darkness didn't overcome it was basically Jesus was saying, uh, no matter what you do to me, you can't keep me from loving you. No matter what you do to me, you can't keep me from loving you. And we're called to be like that. We're called to be like that. No matter what you do to me, you can't keep me from praying for you. You can't keep me from loving you. That's why people, that's why Jesus said, narrow is the gate and few there be that find this road. Because it's not an easy path. And it's not a path that a lot of, you'll hear about on Christian TV. You'll hear a lot of, send me your money and God will take care of you. I'm not going to tell you that. Oh, by the way, there are offering plates in the back. I didn't, uh, <laughs> Jane just kind of gave me the look. Like, <laughs> I always forget to say that. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Why, do you, why don't you guys just turn my mic off and leave? That's what you should do. That's what I do. We don't run from the darkness or cower from it, but we bring light to it. We don't bring light to the darkness through moralism but we bring it through the life that Jesus lives inside of us. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me, bringing light into this dark world. Jesus told them to pray that they would not fall into temptation. What was the temptation that he, was, that he didn't want them to fall into? So let me go. Uh, my points were... Pray. Be prayed up. Spend time in prayer. Get away with God. Get away with God. Spend time in prayer. It's important. Young people, it's important. Middle-aged people, it's important. Old people, it's important. Pray. Spend time with God. Make it a matter of, of, uh, make it a priority. It's important to pray. And then take the light into the darkness. Don't be overcome by the darkness. Don't be uh, tempted to meet darkness with darkness. But take the light of Jesus into the darkness. And then finally, the temptation. Jesus told them to pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation. That could have meant a lot of different things. But I'm going to talk about one thing that I think it meant today. And I think that Jesus told them, you're all going to be offended of me really soon. And if you read the rest of that story, the, they come for Jesus and all the disciples Scatter. Peeper, pe- people, peeper, Peter. See, Peter has a brief moment of bravery where he takes the sword and chops somebody's ear off. 
But then Jesus heals the, uh, the man. His name was Malchus. John uh, tells us that in his gospel. Jesus heals him, reprimands Peter. Then Jesus says to the guys coming, am I leading some kind of a rebellion? Why are you coming out in the middle of the night with clubs and with swords to take me? Haven't I been in the temple with you always? And they take him. And then all the disciples scatter. They run. And I think the temptation that, that Jesus didn't want them to fall into was the, feeling, the temptation to feel abandoned by God. The temptation that in your darkest hour, in your darkness, that you are alone. We talked about kids being afraid of the dark earlier. When a kid's afraid of the dark, typically they run or they get scared in the night. They typically run to their parents' room, right? That's what I used to do. My sisters and I sometimes would go into our parents' room and then we'd all fall asleep on the floor. One particular morning, my dad got up from work. It was get up at 5 a.m. Didn't know anybody was on the floor. <laughs> Stepped on my sister Elizabeth. She's not here to defend herself. She still holds it against him. <laughs> Sometimes as kid, when, when we're kids, we go to our parents' room when we're scared of the dark. Then we get a little bit older, and then we realize, oh, we're the one that's supposed to be brave. Now I'm the one that has to be brave in the dark. Uh, there was a counselor named Paul Faulkner. He told about a woman he was counseling. Her daughter had been killed. Her husband had been unfaithful, and she was about to lose her job. And over the course of a few counseling sessions, he asked her, when times get difficult, who do you turn to? And after a long pause, she said, I guess I turn to myself. And then she said the word that best described her was the word alone. And that's the temptation, I think. One of the temptations Jesus was talking about. The temptation is when times get difficult, we lean on ourselves. We feel all alone. Jesus, the Son of God, knew that his hour of darkness was coming. He took his friends with him, and he asked them to pray. And if Jesus needs his friends to pray with him, guess what? So do you. In the six days of, of, of the creation story in the, in the book of Genesis, God creates everything and he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. The first time God said something was not good was when he talked about man being alone. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. The temptation is to think that, well, every, people have let me down, so I'm not going to trust anyone else ever. I'm just going to take this on myself. That's the temptation. But what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do, is to go to the Father in prayer and lean on one another. Why is it so important to have a body of believers that you worship with? Because when the trials and tests of life come, and they're going to come, as a, as a, as a person walking on the face of the earth, you're either coming out of a trial or you're heading into one. And that's why it's important to have a group of people who surround you, who love you, who will pray for you, who will lift you up, who will be a light in your darkness. Yes, Jesus is the light in the darkness, but as, as the light shines in me and out to you, 
I can be a light for you. I heard a story of, of uh, uh, Pastor um, Chris Green. He's a, um, he's a theologian at Southeastern University in Florida. Theologian of uh, public theology, I think, is what he teaches. Anyway, he was a pastor for a while in Tulsa. And he tells about a young, uh, a young lady who started coming to their church. And she, her dad was a pastor. And she was going to a Bible college in Tulsa and started coming to his church. Well, he found out, uh, he and his wife, uh, she asked if they would counsel her. And so they started talking to her. They found out that uh, growing up, her father, who was a pastor, and her uncle, who was a deacon in the church, would sexually abuse her her whole life. And so she comes to uh, Chris Green's church, and she's talking to him and his wife, and they met with her many times and, and, and tried to bring healing and tried to be Jesus to her. And she had, she had uh, almost walked away from faith many times because she thought, well, how could God stand by? And after, one, after one of the counseling sessions, she was leaving. She turned around and she looked at, at uh, Pastor Green and his wife, and she said, I hope God is like you too. I hope God is like you too. Not the band. I hope God is like the both of you. I hope God is like you. It reminded me of the, the verse in Ruth where Ruth says to Naomi, may God be to you what you've been to me. Because there is a way of living your life Letting Christ live through you where you can be light and salt to people's lives. You can be the presence of God to people. You can bring healing to people's lives. By letting Christ be alive in you. By letting Christ be alive in you. You can be to someone else. Christ. I believe that. I believe there's a reason he called us to live like he lived. I believe there's a reason he told us to be merciful. I believe that there's a reason he asked us to do that because I believe it is the kingdom of God enacted upon earth. And as we follow him and live like he did, we will bring light in the darkness. And that's what we're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. That's what you're called to do. I have no higher calling just because I'm holding the mic and standing a foot higher than you guys. No higher calling on my life than your life. No higher reward for me when I get to heaven than you. Maybe a stricter judgment, as James says, everybody shouldn't want to teach because they're held to stricter judgments. James 3.1. It's terrifying. But we all can be Christ to the world. We all can be light to the world. And that's what we're called to do. Jesus surrendered to the will of God. But Peter fell into temptation. He gave in to the darkness. And when confronted with darkness, Peter let darkness come out of him. Peter made many mistakes on this night.
To overcome the darkness we face, we have got to pray like Christ and die to our own will like Christ. Philippians 4, 47, 4, 4 through 7. Don't look for 447. It's not there. In fact, go ahead and when you find it, stand up and I'll have you read it. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you want the peace that transcends understanding, that passes all understanding, the peace that does not make sense. How can you have peace in what you're going through? It's because I rejoice in the Lord and I bring my petitions to God in prayer and thanksgiving. And then the peace of God will come. We all want the peace that passes understanding. But we have to do what the verses before that say as well. We can't just yank that one out of context. Amen. Amen. Jesus was beaten and killed, but the darkness did not extinguish his light. He stepped into our darkness. Jesus looked down and saw how violent the earth was. He knew that the violence would come for him. And he stepped into it anyway. Because he loves you. Jesus looked down. He saw the violence, the murder, the the hatred, the evil. He knew that as soon as he stepped into it, that that same darkness that comes for all of us would come for him. But he stepped into it anyway because he knew that if he could overcome that darkness, then we could overcome that darkness. And in him, we can overcome that darkness. He came as a light in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome the light and it cannot overcome the light in you. Be a light in the darkness. Be a light in this dark world. Well, what are we going to do? This world is so dark. They're getting so evil. They're doing this. They're doing that. Be a light in the darkness. Go forth with joy, not complaining and talking bad about, oh, it's getting so bad. Because that's, that's our temptation. That's what, we, that's what we do. Just pray that I'll hold on to the end. Hold on to what? You have Jesus. You're not in a position of weakness. You're in the position of strength and power and light. Walk in that. Act like that. Amen. Amen. Be a light in the darkness. It is important to to pray and put your trust in God. But the temptation is to take it all on yourself. I already said that. If Jesus, the incarnate God, needed his friends to pray with him, so do you. Prayer is placing your hand in the Father's as you walk through the darkness. And him saying, I won't let you go. I won't leave you. And he won't. Matthew 4.16 is a direct quote of Isaiah, I think, chapter 7. It says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We live in a land of the shadow of death, but a light has dawned. 
So this morning, I'm going to ask uh, uh, Bo and um, Jesse if they'll come back. We're going to go into a time of communion real quick. The light has dawned. <clears throat> Even on those living in the land of the shadow of death. And I could have spent my whole message this morning talking about how bad things are. I could have. I could have brought us all down. But we all know. Right? We see the wars. We see the injustices. We see people can't afford to eat. People can't afford to live. We see the imbalance in our system. But we have the light. You know, in India, I believe it's changed a little bit, but only 2% of the population in India are Christian. And somewhere between, between 25 and 50% of all health care comes from that 2% of Christians. They're being the light. They're being the light. And while we sit around and complain about politics or sports teams or denominational differences. Oh, they wear jeans on the, on the platform. We, can, we can't go to that church. Or they, or they're too, they, they make everybody wear suits and ties. We, we complain about these stupid things. Meanwhile, the darkness is overtaking our, our neighbors and our friends and the people we work with and the people we love. Be the light that God has put in you. And maybe you feel this morning like darkness is overtaking you. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you feel hopeless, but there is a light shining in your darkness this morning, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is shining on you today. And if you feel hopeless, hope, hopeless, and if you feel like darkness is just overtaking you and you're drowning in it, the Lord Jesus Christ is here, and he is shining his light on, on you today. You are not here by accident. God is after you. The Lord is after you. He's here this morning and he's shining his light on you. The light shining on you, his name is Jesus. And he has come. And he faced down the darkness. And he overcame it. I'm going to ask Brother Paul if he'll pass the communion. I think uh, Brother Nick's going to help him. Jesus is the light that's shining in your darkness. And when the disciples were asleep in the garden that night, and Jesus is about to face the toughest uh, thing that he will ever go through, that any, probably any human has ever faced, Jesus in that garden prays, and he prays for you. In John chapter 17, he says, my prayer, he was praying for his disciples, and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. We have believed through the apostles' message in the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus on the night he was betrayed and on the night he was arrested, prayed for you and he prayed for me. Amen. He loves you and he wants you to let him in.
So this morning, if you find yourself being overcome by the darkness, uh, in these next few moments, we're going to sing before we take communion together. I want you to talk to God. I want you to talk to Jesus and invite him in. Invite that light into your life. Invite that light into your life. And maybe you are already a believer. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, but you don't act like it. You don't treat people like Jesus uh, treated people. You don't talk to people like Jesus talked to people. You don't love people like Jesus loved people. Ask him to help you. Ask him to remove the darkness from inside of you that is holding on. So as we sing, I just want, I want us all to just invite that light that is the Lord Jesus Christ into our life again. Now, I'm not saying that you're not saved if you've already asked. That's not what I'm saying. We all need to reprove. We all need to be sanctified. We all need the Spirit to come and purge us and to purify us. Ask Him to purify you this morning. Ask the light to come in. Ask Him to make you a light that shines in the darkness so that as we let our light uh, shine among men through our good works, Jesus said, that they will glorify God, our Father in heaven. Amen. 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 Let's take a few moments and pray.